Good morning, everyone. We come um, this week to the final in our series on seeking renewal and revival, seeking spiritual renewal and revival. And uh, it's not that we'll stop talking about it. It still very much features in a lot of our um, reflections on Scripture and on our lives together. But as of next week, we'll be heading off in a bit of a different direction as we look around um, how God um, brings change to the church. But when focusing on where do we end a series focusing on seeking spiritual renewal and revival, the appropriate place to end is where creation ends. The culmination of the first uh, creation account in Genesis 1 and the first three verses of Genesis 2, first four verses of Genesis 2, culminates with rest. And we're going to reflect on that theme of rest and its importance, but also what is, um, what is meant by the notion of rest and a few different aspects of it. The main takeaway within the uh, reflection on these verses in Genesis 3 sorry, Genesis 1, verses 1 to 3, is summarised in that little summary for the, the, the sermon. If God can rest, so can we. And even though it's a deceptively simple statement, when you think about it, a lot of our life is driven by control, by our desire to master, to be on top, to be managing things 24-7. And it's pretty amazing to think that God rested. God didn't see the need to continue to be at the wheel driving and doing all that, is, that the creation requires. Creation in itself has been established by God so that God can rest. And if God can rest, so can we. In fact, so should we. So that's the theme we're going to explore. We live in a world that has a certain pace about it, almost relentless pace about it, the language of 24-7, the language of restlessness is very much a characteristic of our world, certainly in Western culture. We live in a culture of restlessness, of always needing to be attending to something. When Fiona and I drive out of our driveway right next to Marriottville High School, we need to be aware of the students who walk the streets with their head into a device, barely look up if at all. And it isn't just the students. We live in a culture as if, if we haven't got a smartphone or some device on hand or speaking in our ear, what are we going to do? It seems to be very much part of our culture. And Christians can be as bad and prone to be as driven as pretty much anyone else. We can also have a sense that we need to be doing something, we need to be productive. There's that joke that's uh, used from time to time around, look busy, Jesus is coming. We know it's a joke, but we do have that impulse at times when if we do 
find ourselves sitting and relaxing and someone comes and knocks on the door or someone comes around that we have to jump up and look busy. I was just having a quick break, almost defensively. It becomes a reflex. And even as churches, as in the last two or three decades in particular, we're focused so much on our Sundays as the, the main ministry of the church, as the centre of all our activities, that we can fill our gatherings and our Sundays with a whole lot of to-do lists. Now, there are things to do, and I am very thankful for all those who contribute to various rosters and other areas in contributing, and the more we can share that out, the less it comes back on a few. But there is a profound sense, and something that I'm very conscious of, is that the idea of our gathering as a church is that we are not busy. It's actually, we've had a busy six days or whatever else has been occupying us throughout the week. And we actually come and gather together to be ministered to by God. Ministered to by the word of God, by the ministry that happens when we gather together, we each contribute our our little bit to the mix. But there's a space and it's a good space to be able to say, actually it's Good to be able to just sit and to be ministered to and to have that space without feeling guilty as though I should be leaping up and volunteering for anything and everything. Now, having delivered the sermon at the 8.30 service this morning, I was almost tempted to offer some marriage counselling over the break because quite a few husbands and wives were looking at each other. Not sort of, that is you at that moment. And I know, yes, it is me as well. I recognise that I'm a little bit busy on Sundays. I have other days off to make sure we keep that mix. Which particular day isn't so much the issue, but there will be a day which is not in that busy work mode. So we're going to explore that. I'm going to start with a, um, a quote from a book. I heard the author being interviewed on Radio National on Life Matters. And it really struck me. It was interesting that uh, the book she's written, um, Tricia Hersey, is a, she's an African-American um, uh, speaker and, uh, and author. And this is book, her book, Rest is Resistance. Free yourself from grind culture and reclaim your life. Um, is a bestseller on the New York Times um, book list. And as I heard her... Um, I thought a lot of these themes are very consistent with a Christian view, a resonant of a Christian worldview. Though the book isn't specifically Christian, it's not presented as such. And I phoned Fiona, I was actually driving, used my hands free button to Fiona, called Fiona, and said, um, Just can you take this name, Tisha Hersey? And Fiona came back, and um, sure enough, actually, she is a Christian, and she's been to seminary, she's got a theological background. Though she's presenting it in a way in which is, um, as I say, very consistent from a, a biblical worldview, but uh, expressed in a way which is accessible for all. She's the founder of the NAP ministry. Now, NAP is not an anacronym. It actually means it's just a NAP. I'm a newfound devotee of the importance of NAPs. Early afternoon, it seems to me, it's a very appropriate time to have a nap. I couldn't believe it when I was a curate 
um, in Wollongong, and over the road we had the bishop's office and the archdeacon there, a guy called Vic Roberts, um, had a habit. He hadn't informed his PA that early afternoon over his, after his lunch break, he would just lie on the floor flat out. And his PA came to me and said, uh, Tim, do you think he's still breathing? You know, should we go in and just... <laughs> he was a great believer in power naps. Well, I think it's actually uh, pretty healthy. So, one of the quotes from Tricia Hersey reminds us of how countercultural it is to rest without apology. Rest, she says, in its simplest form, becomes an act of resistance and a reclaiming of a, of a power, sorry, reclaiming of power because it asserts our most basic humanity. We are enough. What she's pushing back against is the sense that our culture tells us we need to be constantly producing things, to be productive if we are to have value. And if we find ourselves in a space where we're not producing things and doing things and driving things, then we're not being fully human because we value those who are the high achievers, those who are um, workaholics, those who are just driven. We celebrate. And she said, no, we are just enough. And uh, behind it is a sense that she names as it's a human right to have rest. From the moment we're born, babies know to have rest. They haven't got the message that parents also need to have rest. That, that comes a bit later. But rest is actually something we all need. In fact, to withhold rest can be a form of abuse, even a form of torture. Rest is a human right, she argues. Now, neither Fiona and I have read the book yet. We got it two days ago. So we can't take total claim if you go out and read the book um, but everything I heard on her interview on Radio National I thought was excellent someone else who's written in that area um, is a renowned um, theologian called Walter Brueggemann an Old Testament scholar who has a number of really creative and interesting books one of his books is a bit of a classic now called Sabbath as Resistance saying no to the culture of now the culture says everything has to be now. Snap fast this, fast that, quick service. How long it takes you to be served. And he says, no. We can say no to that. In fact, I heard another wonderful quote this week, um, which I'm almost apologetic about saying, but it actually comes from Oprah Winfrey. I'm not a great devotee of Oprah. Um, not that I've spent much time. But I heard a quote from Oprah that I rather liked. And I do encourage you to use it. Not to me so much, but to anyone else you can use this quote. Her quote is, no is a complete sentence. I rather like that. No is a complete sentence. You have permission to say no. Even to me. Even without explanation. Saying no to the culture of now. A quote from Brueggemann. He says it this way. Sabbath in the first instance, is not about worship. Worship is something that we do with our whole life, of our whole being. It is about work stoppage. 
It is about withdrawal from the anxiety system of Pharaoh. Now, at the background of that, he's talking about the Ten Commandments that were given to the people of Israel after they had been brought out of slavery in Egypt under Pharaoh and were gathered to be a people in their own right at Mount Sinai and with the promise of the, uh, the assurance of the promised land. And he says, well, obviously that time in, under slavery in Egypt was a time of anxiety and stress. It's a withdrawal of that. It's the refusal to let one's life be defined by production and consumption and the endless pursuit of private well-being. A lot of our Western culture celebrates and even expects production and consumption and the endless pursuit of private well-being. Sabbath is saying, no, we need some time out from all that. There is a time to do various areas where we are productive and we are at work and creative and whatever it may be that we turn our hands to. But there needs to be a time where we say, okay, we're drawing a line and I'm stepping out of that space. So I want to focus on those questions just a little bit and I'm just going to do some big picture, just a couple of reflections. There's a lot more that could be said based around the creation story. And this is actually a lovely graphic. I went to try and find a graphic for creation that comes from Mangalinga College up in um, Northern Territory. And uh, it's a beautiful reflection that came from their, um, their student community at the college. A couple of quotes, just reflecting on those brief, few brief words at the culmination of the first creation narrative. Day seven. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, if you come across some artwork around this verse, if you do a quick Google search to see artwork, you see quite a few sort of cartoon type sketches of God just exhausted. You know, oh my goodness, thank God, I've done it six days, I just need a break. That is not what is actually in mind in this passage. God is not exhausted. God has reached the culmination of all this work and can now sit back and enjoy it. To bless it is to see all that God has created to being productive to being fruitful. Two notions just to recognise. First of all, God rested from his work and then also he made this day, this moment, holy. I'll come back to the notion of rest in a minute. But recognising that this form of rest is quite distinctive. There were other ancient Near Eastern creation accounts that are very similar to what we have in Genesis. And this was edited and brought together from an oral tradition at a later stage where it was known what these other accounts were. In the Babylonian and the Assyrian creation accounts, God also rests at the end of creation. Marduk and the other Tiamat, the other gods there. But they rested because they've created man to do the work. So in those narratives, 
it reads very clearly and quite starkly. I've created man. You do all the work now. I'm going to sit back and just be served. Over to you. That is not what we see in these Genesis accounts. God invites all creation to enter into this rest and the blessings that comes from it. And God made this day, the seventh day, holy. Now, excuse me. We get ourselves in a tangle bit in trying to understand what this word holy actually means. Does it mean some sort of special magical quality settles on something? And that is not what the word holy means. The word itself simply means something is separated off and dedicated for a particular purpose. Israel was a holy people because they were separated off for a purpose, the mission of God. We separate off parts of our church, a sanctuary area we call not because it's got some special qualities to it, but because we set it apart for a particular purpose. If you want to know what that purpose is, it's not for storage. If you want to hear me get grumpy? Try and store something back here. And I say, no, that's not the purpose of that area. And so God has separated off a day that he says is to be unlike the other days, and it's for a purpose. It's to stop work. So the notion of stop. Now this is actually, I came across a discovery when I was preparing for this this week and it's a pretty cool discovery. Um, first one is that the word for rest in this verse, in Genesis 2 verse 3, literally means just to stop, to cease, to desist, to down tools. God downed tools and stopped working. Not as a rebellion, not as a, uh, strike, but because that's the whole purpose. I came across this lovely paraphrase. Actually, it's a translation from a scholar, Kasuto. God abstained from work on this day. He chose not to work. And he calls us to do likewise. That in itself is a good reminder that we don't try and do the 24-7, all the things we need to do as much as possible. Now, we don't need to get legalistic about that, and we'll come to that a little bit later when we come to Jesus. But it's important for us to hear that the day we choose to take as our Sabbath day, and we're told it can be any day, but it needs to be not a work day. Not a bad reminder. Secondly, is a second verb for rest in this passage. I did not know this until this week. And it came in a little footnote. And I thought, oh, I hadn't recognized that. It said there's another word for rest that comes later in the passage. So I explored it. It comes in uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 15. Another word is used, another verb, that means to abide or to rest in, to, to, to dwell all to settle. I didn't know that. Do you know what verse it comes in? You wouldn't actually see it. I never saw it until I was pointed to it. It comes in this verse here. The Lord took the man, this is the earth creature, Hadam, still incomplete at this stage, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. 
Where does the word rest occur in that? It occurs around the, the, where it's translated, took the man and put him. The word put him, the verb actually is settled him. The Lord God took the man and rested or settled him into the garden to work it and keep it. It's actually really quite fascinating. The word rest here is used in the sense of truly being at home, of being settled into a full abiding residence. Now we can resonate with that. You know when you travel and you live out of a suitcase and you be on whatever form of uh, uh, combination you have, you might have you know, the best of uh, friends who offered you to be a guest you know that experience when you come back home and having checked that the freezer's still on and the gardens aren't destroyed and everything else? When you come back home just to know that familiarity of your own kitchen, your own cups and plates, your own couch, your own bed, your own bathroom, there's a quality to it, isn't it? And you can almost draw a deep breath and saying, now I can replenish myself. That's the quality of being settled into a home. And that is what God's intention is for the Garden of Eden. Now these threads, these themes continue throughout Scripture. They're not one-off, sort of just little snapshots. These themes of a desire for home and a desire for rest become a major part of the storyline. And we'll pick it up and see how it goes through uh, the time of Jesus and into the, the final verses of the Bible, final chapters of the heavenly Jerusalem where we are finally at our ultimate home and we can rest in that space. But the rest is also the theme of being where we are, where is the right place for us to be. Now I said before that not being a 24-7 culture driven by constantly action and being unsettled or restless is a countercultural thing to push back against it. It is also profoundly significant in our own day and age around the theme of having a home. Not only is rest a human right, I would argue that having a home is a human right for our well-being. And the fact that we live in a culture, we live in a world, not just uh, in the Western world, but in Australia, in Adelaide, where a growing number of people don't have a home, is a concern. And it's an all-of-community concern. There are cars in North Adelaide that are just tucked on the streets. And we notice that they're there, the same car, the same spot, Week in and week out, people are living and sleeping out of those cars. That is a concern that we all need to take responsibility for, both in terms of government but also of our support of things like Anglicare and our, our advocacy about the importance of everyone has the right to have a home and to feel safe and nurtured in that space. So where do we go with this? As we've looked at this series of looking at renewal and revival, this isn't a postscript. This is the goal for God's purpose in creation. God's resting 
was and is the goal and climax of creation. God has established that pattern that is woven into the fabric of creation that we need to honour and we need to live out if we are to maintain that healthy sense of how we are to occupy this space, this life that we have been blessed with and given to by God. That theme is picked up by Jesus. And it's a familiar passage. It's a well-known one for good reason. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now, the theme itself isn't just a, a breather. This is Jesus intentionally picking up this language of creation, this quality of being able to settle, of not needing to strive or to struggle. It's that moment when we might have been facing a, a you know, challenging set of circumstances and we're giving it our all and we're trying to hold it together until someone steps in and says to us, it's okay now, I've got this, you can have a rest. You sense that's just what that means to have someone step in who's capable and says, I've got this, you can rest. Jesus is saying that to those who follow him. It isn't just Jesus expressing these profound words. The verse before you would have heard as, as Valerie read it to us, talked about how all things have been given to Jesus. The God of the universe, the God of creation, has given all things under the hand of Jesus. Jesus is saying, I am uniquely, as the Son, given all things. What he's actually saying to the crowd is, you don't need to be God. You don't need to be trying to master 24-7, keeping in control, managing everything. You can step down from managing and just trust me. I've got this. But there's also a sense, and I looked at their version of it on the, uh, the Chosen, and there is a good clip that I'll show at some stage, of Jesus seeing the faces of those who are gathered around him. Jesus, at this stage of his ministry, has been creating quite, a, quite an impression. People are coming to hear his teaching. They've come to see his miracles and the amazing things he's doing, but they're coming to hear his teaching in particular. And Jesus has just said, there are mysteries, there are secrets that are now revealed to most unexpected people. He said, even children often see it before you adults will see it. Even the young, he says. Not necessarily the learned, but it is revealed for those who are willing to see. And then he goes on to this teaching. And could you imagine the crowd of people who are just tired? Because life in the ancient world was not easy. There were no fridges. They had to gain food for each day. They had to be up at dawn and all the work that was going. And imagine those who are just weary. We can imagine something of that. And Jesus looking at the eyes of people before him who are just spent and saying, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I'll give you life in that space. 
Now, the language of a yoke is the language of the, the wooden um, framework that's put over two oxen so they can gather together to uh, combine their energy to plough and to carry loads and things. And Jesus is saying that part of the problem has been that the, uh, the religious leaders of the day have been talking about how God's law, which is life-giving, and they've added all these extra burdens on top of that, all these definitions of what is and isn't the law. And Jesus says you can release yourself. You don't need all those rule books around what you can and can't do. Just trust God's wisdom for life. And there you will find that it, the burden is light. It's actually a commentary about Jesus' leadership. He says, I'm not a tyrant. I'm not going to push you and make you serve me. But I'm actually going to give you a space where you can be at home. And you can down tools. And you can rest. So the words to take note, to reflect on, all you who are weary and burdened, God sees you. God knows. Jesus sees you. The promise, I'll give you that quality of rest, of being able to step out of the anxiety and the concern to, to try and be on, to manage and to be on top of everything. And it goes deep, and you will find rest for your souls, not just the physical busyness, but that emotional, spiritual peace that God alone can give. I want to finish with one last quote from Tricia Hersey's book, Rest is Resistance. It captures something of that quality of rest. You were not just born to centre your entire existence on work and labour. You were born to heal, to grow, to be of service to yourself and community, to practice, to experiment, to create, to have space, to dream and to connect. That is what the rest that God promises in Christ is available to us. It is profoundly countercultural, but it is also something that we can offer to our wider community when we see people who are just driven and manage to say to them, Have you ever thought about just down tools? You might even, if you're particularly courageous, say, Have you even thought about downing your phone for a minute? setting it aside, and just rest. This is the culmination of our series on seeking renewal and revival. We have our part to play into it. There's an intentionality to step in saying, I'm going to step out of this space of busyness into this space of rest and not feel guilty. If I can leave you one image of that, when you find yourself in that space of rest, wherever it can be, have a sense of God looking down over you with a smile and saying, well done you. Amen.